Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This is Life and Art from FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. My colleague Tim Hayward writes about food professionally. He's been our restaurant critic here at the FT for 12 years. Tim also makes food very successfully. He owns a bakery in Cambridge, and he's put out eight books about cooking and making food from scratch. So he was pretty surprised recently when somebody called him a glutton. He thought, of course I'm a glutton. Do people still think that that's a bad thing? Today, we've invited Tim to join us from London to defend gluttony, or at least to encourage us to embrace the pleasure of eating. Tim, welcome to the show. It's always such a pleasure to have you on. (laughs) Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Um, okay, so to start, can you tell me what happened? This was a few months ago, right? Who called you a glutton? Well, it sort of came up in conversation. I was chatting to a chef friend, and he mm-hmm. just said, you know, well, you're a, you're a professional glutton. And I thought, well, well yeah, uh, but, but, you know, what, what do you mean? Why say it in that negative way? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I suppose, Did you yeah, think, uh, does this person know what I do? Well, exactly. But it's not just that, because it, it made me go away and think about it, because I'm I run a, a bakery in Cambridge, and we've, we've got sort of three or four branches, and, and we, we make cakes and and sweet things uh, mm-hmm. that are all very delightful. And I realized that, of course, none of those are – they're what you call in marketing discretionary purchases. People aren't coming in to right. buy them because they're starving. You know, they don't need it right. for sustenance. They need it because it's a, a pleasure and a joy. And I realized then yeah. that I'm, if, if gluttony is bad, I'm a drug dealer. <laughs> but I'm not. And so we've got to find some way of sort of repositioning gluttony as it's not really a terrible mortal sin. Yeah, yeah. Let's just make, I would love to like linger on the definition. So the Oxford English Dictionary defines gluttony as the habit of eating and drinking too much. Yeah. But it feels sort of like the thing that you're pushing back against is the excessive enjoyment of food. It's not really just about the excessive eating of food. I think for me, it, it's it's when people get moral about it. mm. I mean, when they, when they first started listing sins, I think Song of Solomon, or something mm-hmm. like that, got some of the earliest ones. They never mentioned gluttony at all. Right. Absolutely not a problem. Right. You know, lying lying to people, or you know, doing unpleasant things with their oxen. I mean, those kind of things were were fairly prescribed. That's okay. But then suddenly it becomes this thing about, and I I think it really hits on the idea that if people are really enjoying and getting into food, they're possibly not thinking about suffering. And yeah. possibly going to heaven. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that notable, joyous fellow, St. Thomas Aquinas, actually ended up with a list of five separate ways you could commit gluttony. The five terms are laute, which is eating food that is too luxurious, exotic, or costly. Nimis, mm-hmm. which is eating food that is excessive in quantity. Studios, which is eating food that's too daintily or elaborately prepared. Pripropere, which is eating too soon or at inappropriate times. And Ardenta, <laughs> which is eating too eagerly. And I mean, he actually bothered. To, but, you know, by that, by that point, they were trying to find a, almost getting down into the granularity of why this thing of, that all of us did that was really so nice and so pleasurable and enjoyable. How can we turn it into a sin? Oh, we'll find a way. But, but you know, it isn't. I mean, if, if I couldn't eat food right. that was too luxurious, that was excessive in quantity, that was daintily or elaborately prepared at inappropriate times yeah. and eat it eagerly, 
I'd be entirely out of a job. <laughs> I mean, people, people right. wouldn't want to read anything I wrote. Anyway, so yes, I live in Cambridge. These are the kind of conversations you get into with people. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so before you go on, so what you're saying is that gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins, Mm -hmm. but as you say, it's not even one that you find in the early Christian texts. It's newer. Mm -hmm. And then the other question you're saying is just like, why do we keep it around at all, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we've changed our beliefs around so Mm -hmm. much. Why haven't we changed our beliefs around this? Uh, yes, I think so. And and not just to sort of throw it out, because we now know other things about gluttony. I mean, obviously, we're, we're right. living in a world where our, our health systems are, are utterly crushed by uh, the, the dangers of obesity and, and, and the, the way they affect people's bodies. We've got, we've got a surplus of food, and therefore gluttony mm-hmm. is, a, is a bad thing in, in, in some ways. But we have to question what we mean. Right. The other thing that I suppose really brought it to my head was we've known for a while that the National Health Service is about to declare, I believe next month, that a lot of the new uh, injectable weight reduction drugs will be available on the National Health Service. Like Ozempic. Yeah, exactly. And it'll save a load of money for the National Health Service. It's an all-round, generally brilliant thing. And I'm sitting here Mm -hmm. wondering, how are we going to find a way to really screw that up? Because morally, that's what we're going to do. We're going to find some way of telling people that it's somehow morally imperfect to cheat like that and inject something that... And of course, we've never really been in a position where we've ever been able to electively do away with a human desire. I mean, you know, we, we've never experimented with a drug that completely suppresses libido or... or, or... Yeah, that's true. It's, you know, it's funny. Ozempic is an interesting one. I think about it a lot because it is bringing in this new era of, like, weight consciousness again. Mm. And in some ways, it's good. People who really struggle with weight and have mm. health problems that are related to it are taking them, and it helps them. Um but then on the other hand, now there's people who are already thin that are taking them too and mm. uh, trying to be even thinner. And so I feel like it's all going back to the same question over and over again, which is how do we balance being healthy with having a happy, fulfilled, yeah. um, even kind of like mm-hmm. tangible, sumptuous life? Well, I, I don't think the, uh, the semaglutide drugs are going to wipe out people's enjoyment of food. I, I, yeah. I don't think they do that. They reduce uh, appetite, but not in a way that's right. going to be risky. I do know that there's a lot of worry amongst uh, food manufacturers uh, that people are not going to be so hungry so often. The amount of food sold may reduce. Um, mm-hmm. I certainly think our, our, our advertising and marketing industries have spent the last possibly 100 years uh, advertising into greed, as it were, totally. or encouraging greed and then fulfilling it. Um, and they're going to have some interesting questions to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I, I think some of those questions are actually philosophical. Yeah. Um, but but it, it's, it's, going, it's going to be really interesting, isn't it? When, yeah. I mean, we, we've certainly, as long as my generation's been around, uh, being thin was actually a privilege of the well-off, really. Yeah. Uh, which is, that's the first time that's happened in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what are we going to do when everybody can afford to be thin and hot? I mean, that's going, that's going to be terrible, isn't it? I mean, well, if, where on, where on earth would the entire English class system be? It'll fall apart. We'll have no idea. I know, the American too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, Tim, that reminded me, I was talking to our food and drink editor, Harriet Fitchlittle, about this. Mm. And I it feels like there's a little bit of a cultural difference between um, where Americans are and where Brits are with this. And you tell me if Mm. you're seeing it too. But in the U.S., I feel like people are very focused on health. They're focused on gut health 
eating clean, drinking less, going to bed earlier, less processed foods, all that stuff. But she said that in the UK, it feels like you're all in a sort of effort mentality, that there's a lot of smoking during dinner parties and press releases that restaurants are decidedly not doing veganuary. That's, that's <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that the UK hmm. sort of embraced gluttony a little bit more. I, well, I think there's a possibility that we've gone through it and come out the other side. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I mean the, the vegan thing in the UK was absolutely huge for about three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, many, many, I mean, well, the entire catering industry lent into it really hard. I mean, I've most of my life known and deeply respected a few lovely vegans who've all been lovely vegans. Uh, and they've done it because they, they loved animals and, 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 and didn't want to pollute themselves with meat. Uh, and they're still there, the same number of them. Right. Whereas the millions and millions of people who were sort of part-time vegans who felt it was okay to do mm-hmm. it for four days a week, have suddenly collapsed under the, the sort of the weight of absurdity of trying to keep that logic going. Is there anything else that, like, now that you've written this piece, as you're going to restaurants and uh, you talked a lot in your piece about how there's, like, uh, you know, that actually reaching satiation and then pushing through it is part of the job. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm constantly trying to, to, to question what the restaurant experience is about. Yeah. Funnily enough, I've been reading, rereading uh, something that was huge when I was at art college, which was uh, Susan Sontag's essay on camp. Mm. Because she was trying to find a way between high and low culture. And it strikes me right. that we need to find a way through that with food. Hmm. I've been to several restaurants recently that were kind of knowingly self-mocking mm-hmm. whilst being truly brilliant. And there's a line in one in in, in the, the essay somewhere where, where it's, it, you just don't trust people who take food too seriously. That's just ridiculous. You also don't right. like people who don't take it seriously enough. And if right. you can balance those two notions in your head, which I think is what I probably have to do for a living if I'm ever going to be any good. Right. And, and I think that, that that's intriguing me at the moment, is trying to find that balance. Right. That's interesting. From the special investigations team at the Financial Times, this is The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. I went into what I would consider a psychotic break. It was like being in a torture chamber for my mind for six months. The Retreat. The Retreat. The final goal is to purify the mind. The Retreat is the first series from Untold, a new Financial Times investigative podcast. Coming this January. Tim, I would love to hear while we're on the topic of gluttony and while I have you about some food and meals that you enjoy the most, Mm -hmm. if we could do a sort of lightning round. Okay. Um, what is the meal that's given you the most sort of gluttonous pleasure <laughs> in the last, say, three months? That's an absolutely great question. Well, so the answer is always it's the last meal. Yeah. The last meal was always brilliant. And, and I, <laughs> I love it. And as long as that keeps going, I'm going to stay alive. That's fine. But this one was particularly interesting because mm-hmm. I went to a West African restaurant uh, and I had a meal that included a porridge made of the seeds of breadfruit. Oh, cool. And it's a marvelous, marvelous thing. And it comes with this tremendous story about during the Nigerian Civil War, people were surviving on this stuff because it filled their bellies and it was wonderful. Mm. And I loved the story. And I'm obviously making notes on this and thinking, this is great. This is tear-jerkingly intense. And then I left the place and I realized that my stomach was swelling. 
Mm. with the incredible amount of this stuff that I'd consumed because it was so delicious. And I, and I was actually thinking, oh God, I'm going to go and be interviewed about gluttony now. This is the most gluttonous thing I've done in years. So yeah, it was, it was that. That was a pretty gluttonous lunch. <laughs> Amazing. Um, what about, is there like a certain cuisine or type of dish that gives you that kind of sumptuous Pleasure we've been talking about. I, I I think you 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 can sort of take it apart, parse it in different ways. I think it, you know when you have a very very classical French meal in in a French mm-hmm. restaurant in France, which I've had the chance to do a couple of times in the last couple of years, and you think I mean there, mm-hmm. there's there's nothing that's ticking all of my cultural buttons as hard <laughs> as this is. And then uh, for example, we have a, a lot of of new Korean stuff happening in the UK at the moment, you know, and and, the, and mm. you start going to Korean restaurants and you think, my God, there's an entirely different culture with an entirely different approach yeah. to this, and my my levels of gluttony and joy in this are just, are as high, but mm. different. Yeah, the number of dishes at a Korean meal feels can, can be absurd. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whereas, but on the other hand, for example, with Chinese food, um, where in the UK most Chinese food is in sort of the the, the feasting tradition, I'm now finding myself going <laughs> right. to places and having a single dish of something in a much more sort of mm. Chinese soul food way than I've ever experienced before. So that's opening up to us as well, and and those meals can be incredibly sumptuous. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about at home, Tim? I know you do a lot of cooking at home mm. um, from your Instagram. <laughs> Is there a trick to indulging an inner uh, glutton of ours in our own kitchens? Just treat treat yourself well, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and keep the keep the freezer full of interesting things. Never keep it full of dull stuff. Yeah. My last one is sort of related, but it's, um, I just wrote this piece about reviving recipes that have gone extinct. Ooh, um, lovely. It's coming out the day this episode drops. Uh, and I'm wondering if there's an old family recipe that you go back to that's just like Gosh. very over the top. <laughs> well, you know, that's intriguing. My mother called me just before Christmas and said, when you come down, do you know any way you can get pork knuckles? And so I went <laughs> to all my specialist butchers and called around and I found some. And so mum and I have been cooking pork knuckle, which she got from her grandmother. Wow. So years and years and years ago and find, just finding our way back into that. Right. And there's so much in the liquid that the, the hock will be boiled in and the gelatin that builds up and the way it sticks to your lips. And mm-hmm. you, know, you can have it cold, you can have it hot. It'll self-gelify into its own charcuterie effectively if you just let it go. Huh. That, that is an amazing thing. And it's, it's incredibly old-fashioned. Yeah. And yet I find myself applying sort of modern feeling to it, and it's lovely. Oh, I love that. And it might give you gout. <laughs> it's almost certainly going to give me gout, but by the time we get there, there'll be a gout pill and it'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> um, Tim, thank you so much. My very last question is just if there's any final thought you want to leave listeners with, you know, like what should we go away thinking about when it comes to um, enjoyment of food and over-enjoyment of food even? Gosh, I, solely to be questioning. Mm. Uh, you know, if you if you if you feel you're being gluttonous, or you feel if you're feeling guilty, the question is why. Yeah. Um. And 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 sort of work back from there. Yeah, that's great. There's a thing I keep calling telling myself called like robot brain. Don't use robot brain. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when it comes to the decisions you no, make, don't use robot and brain. And I find myself yeah. now that I have a word for it, I'm finding it everywhere. So um, <laughs> this is a great place for it. Well, there's also the other one is is the, is the limbic system, your lizard brain, which basically just responds. Right. I think you need to balance your robot brain with a little tiny bit of your lizard brain, <laughs> which is just going to tell you eat pork. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely pork knuckles. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Tim, this was such a delight as always. Uh, thank you so much and please come back. It's lovely to speak to you. Thank you. Goodbye. That's the show. Thank you for listening to Life and Art from FT Weekend. Tim wrote about gluttony for FT Weekend magazine. I have linked to that piece in the show notes, as well as the Susan Sontag piece he mentions and a few of his recent reviews. Every link to the FT in the show notes will get you past the paywall. And the show notes also has discounts to a subscription to the Financial Times, really good ones, and ways to stay in touch with the show and with me, whether that's by email or on Instagram. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here's my incredible team. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have a lovely week, and we'll find each other again on Friday. <laughs>